pray with me? Father, I'm so grateful this morning that you are who you say you are. Lord, this world is filled with false gods and all sorts of things that we can worship if that's how we want to spend our time. Lord, the cult of celebrity, the, the love of self above anything else. the thirst for money, the lust for power. Father, you offer to us living water. Jesus said from his own mouth, if we'll drink from the water that he gives, we'll never thirst again. Lord, I pray as we look at your word this morning and Consider the things that you, you wanted to communicate to us when you inspired them to be written. Lord, that more than anything, we will come face to face with you. With your love and compassion, Lord, with your correction, your direction for our lives. Lord, that your will would be done in us and in the world that's just right outside our door. Father, there's a lot, uh, there are a lot of folks out this morning. And I don't know all the reasons. I know some of it's family and some of it's sickness. Some of it's weariness. Lord, I pray that you'll be with them. Remind them that we're here and we love them. We care about them. And Lord, as we pray for them in this moment, whatever their circumstance, may their spirit be lifted. May they sense your presence around them. But now, Lord, be with us in this time. Let your spirit abide with us. Speak to us. And know that we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. bit or if you're visiting with us today and especially if you've got young ones we've been we're doing something a little bit different for this week and the next few weeks leading up to Easter Sunday we've got a thing going called generation praise and if you're new it's not too late to get in um, we'll be welcoming our children's ministry here to the platform uh, for worship on Easter Sunday the kids are going to come and help lead worship with us uh, it's going to be a fantastic time we've got two services coming on Easter Sunday we'll have a little bit more info about that but if you want to be part of that then you can go right now and meet Miss Karen over here at this door. We're going to be in this big room. If you've got a kiddo who's just going to hang out with you in here and you would like for them to have one, there are some worksheets, some little things back here on the back table. They're welcome to go and grab those and, uh, and keep those here in the service and do some, you know, it's got some of those fun things that kids like to do on them. 
So we've made those available for everybody this morning, whatever spot they would be in. We hope that your kids will go and be involved in the singing. If they'd like to do that, it's going to be a great time as they join the worship team here. Hey, uh, Lloyd, could you turn on a couple of these overhead lights for me? I forgot to do that this morning. Uh, if you're new here, I'm Pastor Tracy. I'm the lead pastor here at Christ Community Church. I don't normally lead worship, but uh, Tyler, our worship pastor, is also involved with a great organization here uh, in the city and the outlying areas called Grace Works. They do uh, street ministry and park ministry during the summers. And in the winter, they bring teams up. They've got a few teams here right now who uh, are down at the Iditarod. They were down yesterday at the ceremonial start. They went out to Willow today, and they give out uh, food and water and help the teams. And so he's out helping to coordinate that. He had uh, quite the week as they were getting prepared for those teams to come in. He went to get the vans ready uh, because they have several, you know, 15-passenger vans. And somebody had drilled holes in the gas tanks and stolen the gas out of a number of the vans. And so that cost them several hundred dollars to get fixed and sent them behind. I think they even had to go rent a couple of vans to cover some of the ones that were lost. And so that's, man, that's Anchorage right now, isn't it? It's crazy town. And you know what Anchorage needs? Anchorage needs Jesus. Um, I'm excited to see some of you here that have brought friends today. Love uh, seeing new faces. Glad to see some of you folks that are visiting with us. If, uh, if you would, if you're visiting with us today, I would love to meet you after the service. I'll just be hanging around, wandering around, talking to people. But don't hesitate to come and introduce yourself. And uh, if you'd really give us one of those uh, Connect cards, that would be fantastic. Um, before I jump into the message today, I do want to tell you, uh, a number of weeks ago, uh, the past several months, I asked you to pray uh, for a friend of mine named Marty, a friend of mine from high school who had contracted uh, liver cancer, uh, very unexpectedly, he was diagnosed at stage four, that was about six months ago, and uh, uh, he did pass away. Karen and I went to his uh, memorial service yesterday. I had the incredible blessing of not only having you pray with me, which was wonderful, and as I communicated that to Marty, he was just so uh, thrilled by that and moved by that because there were so many people around uh, the state and there were even around the country that were praying for him. Um, I got to sit with him uh, on Tuesday, and then he passed away on, on Sunday. We had a fantastic visit that Tuesday. But um, as we went to the ceremony yesterday, it was out in Eagle River, probably, I don't know, about 400 people uh, there that came uh, to honor him. And it was really fantastic to see and to hear person after person after person say, which was my experience as well, that if you, if you had a chance to hang out with Marty in the past several years, you would find out three things. Um, he loved his wife fiercely. Uh, he was a fantastic dad to his kids. And if you spent more than probably 15 or 20 minutes with Marty, he was going to tell you about Jesus and what Christ had done in his life. And it wasn't a pushy thing. It wasn't an over-the-top thing. It was just Marty loved the Lord so much he could not help but tell you uh, what was going on. And uh, one of the guys that used to work for him said uh, he gave a little chat there and said uh, Marty had called a business meeting one afternoon with he and another guy and they didn't know what it was about. They, they were like, man, this is not good. Marty doesn't usually call meetings. And they went in and shut the door and sat down and said, what's going on, boss? And he, he took out his Bible. And he said, I just wanted to share a verse with you today. And then ultimately he led those guys to the Lord uh, through his business. And that was just the kind of guy he was. I'm going to miss him a lot. We got reconnected again a couple of years ago and had really uh, been able to get close. Um, but listen, guys, there's comfort in the promise uh, that 
uh, this is not all there is. God has something more for us. This life is really kind of a, I mean, it's a training ground. It's a, it's a place where we begin to learn how to live in the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is here, right? That's what Jesus said. He said, the kingdom of God is as close as your hand is at the end of your arm. It's right here. If you'll, if you'll have eyes to see, if you'll have ears to hear, if you have a heart that wants to abide with him, you can live in the kingdom of heaven right now. And then uh, when we go and spend eternity with him, it'll be just like home. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to say in one sense that Marty is whole uh, today and enjoying that. But uh, I'm going to miss him. But I wanted to thank you for praying with us and praying for them. Continue to pray for the family, for Shannon and his three uh, kids, Emily, Ian, and Sean. Uh, they're all uh, teenagers or a little bit older and uh, have big plans for their lives. But uh, it's really a beautiful family, and I know that they would appreciate that. All right? So all that being said... Um, we wrapped up the final of our series last week uh, that we were doing, and if you missed that, I would encourage you to go back to the podcast and, and pick up on any of those that you missed. I think it was a fantastic series. Uh, it's okay to not be okay, that God doesn't expect us to be just perfect. As soon as we say, hey, uh, hey God, yeah, I, I want to hang out with you. I want, I want to love you back like you've loved me. His expectation is not that every single problem in our life is instantly fixed. He knows that's not how it works. And he says to us, it's okay if this is messy for a while. And so we talked about some of those things that are messy for a while. And, uh, and I think gave some pretty good biblical insights into how God uh, sees those, what he kind of expects from us, and what we should be expecting in our life with Christ. And that's led us now to this uh, short series that's going to take us right through Easter Sunday called the absent God. And the idea here is that sometimes there are circumstances in our lives where uh, we're facing things, we're wrestling with things, uh, things have happened, where we wonder, where is God in this? Um, interestingly, at, at the service yesterday, one of Marty's friends said someone had asked him, um, what, what's the purpose of Marty's death? What good does this serve? Uh, where was God when Marty died? And the friend very wisely said, we should, not, we should not view and judge Marty's entire life by his death because his life was about his life. His life was about what he lived and what he believed and what he professed. And so sometimes it's, it's a thing that we all get caught up in where we're, we look at our circumstance and we wonder where God is, but maybe we're looking with too small of a lens and maybe we've missed some opportunities. And so I want to take you to some scripture this morning, uh, but before I do that, there's... Um, let me grab my iPad here because i got to do a couple of things here. There was, this, uh, there was this thing that happened this last week that you may or may not be aware of. Anybody know who Kevin Smith is? Anybody? I know Jason does. But, um, filmmaker, uh, goofy guy, uh, sports uh, Silent Jay and Silent Bob, thank you very much. Um, uh, he, does a, he does a television show where they talk about a lot of stupid things and a lot of baseball and film and things like that. And he usually, like a lot of people in the industry, they'll do uh, multiple recordings. This is Kevin Smith. They'll do multiple recordings at the same time, the same day. Instead of coming back day after day to do a daily show, they'll, you know, they'll package two of them, three of them, four of them, five of them together, and then roll them out while they're, they're taking some time off. Well, he was in 
uh, doing recording. He did show one, and during show one, he was like, man, I don't really feel good. I think let's just, let's just come back and do show number two later. And uh, ended up in the hospital room with a Widowmaker heart attack blockage uh, later that day and, and nearly died. And uh, had actually sent out a little, you know, it's 2018, a tweet from his hospital bed, you know, doing okay, uh, almost died. And then this guy, Chris Pratt, Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah, right? Had the nerve to tweet out, hey, I don't really know you that well, but I love the stuff you do, I'm praying for you. And then the Twitterverse went nuts, condemning the idea of praying for Kevin Smith's health, because that's the world we're living in right now, where it's objectionable to say to someone, I'm gonna pray for you. And it's not completely unfounded. You know, we saw this in the aftermath of the Parkland school shootings, right? Um, lots of love and prayers to the people in Parkland, praying for the people in Parkland. And there's, a, there's an animosity that grows, there's an animosity that builds in a, uh, a reaction to that when prayer is not followed with action of some kind. Then they're what we call empty prayers to some degree, right? So, and the way that that works out like for, for a guy like Kevin Smith, Chris Pratt is, if he's really praying for him and, and receiving those, one, he is diligently praying because that's what the Bible says, that the, the fervent, effectual prayer of a person, meaning you keep at it and you're sincere and you really mean it. It's, it's not just lip service, but it's something you really mean, that those kinds of prayers can accomplish a lot. And then if you have the opportunity and if you have the position, if you have the, the potential to actually do something about the thing that you're praying about, then that puts even more power to that prayer as well because while God does many things miraculously, he's not there in heaven just sort of, of, of orchestrating the world and, and expecting us to sit back and watch him do it. See, we're the hands and feet often of the work of God. And so I, I want to take us to this passage of scripture where something happens that's beyond someone's control and they seek the assistance of God and these things transpire and see how we can apply that to our lives. And really today we're talking about when, when small things uh, go wrong, when small things fall apart. In the big scheme of things, they're not huge, but sometimes we know that even the small things can set us off, right? They can, they, they can derail us. They can send us in a direction maybe we don't want to go. There was that book series, you know, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. Hint, it's all small stuff. I'd like to punch that guy in the mouth um, because sometimes the small stuff really matters, right? Now, it's good to put things in perspective and don't let yourself be driven by every single little thing that goes wrong, but things matter, even the small stuff. So here we are, John chapter 2, and here's the story that maybe you've heard before. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. So we learn something here about um, uh, Jesus and, and his mom. Uh, they were apparently the kind of people who got invited to parties. Uh, this wedding party was important. Some scholars believe that this was probably a family gathering of some kind uh, because it appears that Mary, the mother of Jesus, had some sort of role in this because of what transpires here. Um, it's interesting, by the way, that uh, just kind of as a historical note, after we see Joseph and Mary in the temple with Jesus when he's about 12 years old, when um, they've gone to Jerusalem for one of the festivals, and they go back home and they realize, and I know none of you have ever done this, they've forgotten their child. 
Um, I think I left Christopher here once. <laughs> At least once. Does that ring a bell for you, Chris? Did it, I've left you here before, right? Forgot, yeah, I forgot that you were here, yeah. Um, so it happens, right? So <laughs> except here, they'd like gone a couple of days, right? And realized, hey, where's the kid? I thought he was with somebody else, right? You know how that goes. So they go all the way back and they find him in the temple teaching. 12-year-old Jesus is teaching the rabbis about the Bible. And uh, that's the last time in the biblical account that we hear about Joseph. And so here we are at this wedding, and we don't hear about Joseph here. So the assumption is that somewhere in between 12 years old and this time, which is about Jesus is 30 years old, Joseph has passed away, and he's not around anymore. So they're both here at this wedding, and so are the disciples. When the, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But, but you have kept the good wine until now. And verse 11 goes on to say, This is the first of his signs. And Jesus did it at Cana in Galilee, and it manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him because they saw this. So we're going to go back through and, and pull out about three specific points out of this about perhaps how, when, when things are going wrong for us, how should we approach God? Is there anything interesting in the timing? Is there anything interesting in what we ask for? Is there anything interesting in the way that we ask for it? that we might be able to then pattern our lives after this story. So we're going to go right back to John chapter 2, verse 3. When they ran out of wine, when the, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And the word here I want you to focus on is the word when. When the wine ran out. Not the next day, not a week later, but when it happened. Sometimes I think we feel that God is absent because we don't express the need that we have when it happens. We try to run on our own steam, our own efforts, our own strength. The goal of the disciples' life is to trust God in every single thing, even the small ones. When we don't, we tend then to only seek him for the big things when we do want him to intervene in some way. So if we, if we let the small things pass by without consulting the Lord, because he does want us to consult him and speak to him and, and, and be in relationship with him about every single aspect of our lives, when we leave that out and we only focus on the big things, then a couple of things happen. Um, 
we signal to God that we sometimes know better than he does. And that we really only need him when things have gone terribly bad. And the other thing that happens is subconsciously, we erode our dependence on him. See, we're giving that same communication to ourselves. Not only are we telling God that sometimes I don't really need you, but we're telling ourselves, sometimes I don't really need God. I got this. I can handle this. It's okay. So when the big things do come, we often try to handle those on our own as well, in our own strength, in our own efforts, uh, our own terms. And we know how that goes. Then we find ourselves often in a place of catastrophe, right? A place of desperation where we're begging God to intervene and to be in the middle of this thing that for so long we tried to wrestle on our own. Uh, look, I'm as guilty of this as anyone and maybe more so. I've talked about this before. I'm one of those, uh, I take problems and just churn them around. Man, just brrr, chew on it like a dog with a bone. And I, my blood pressure goes up. My stomach hurts. I can't sleep. And then uh, I, I can say that I'm better now as a 50-year-old man than I was as a 25-year-old man. Because at 25 years old, I might chew on that thing for three weeks, a month, a couple of months, and finally, in exhaustion, give up. Say, fine, God, do what you want to do. Might take me a couple of weeks now. You know, I've cut down the time. And I'm consciously always thinking, how can I, how can I uh, t teach myself, how can I discipline myself to more quickly and as quickly as possible run to the presence of God with everything that I need his assistance with and to do it like right away, to not wait, to not wrestle it on my own and put my own hands all over it because I don't know what I'm doing. Proverbs says it like this. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. Listen, in all your ways. That's every single thing. All is very inclusive, right? In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make straight your path. See, if we acknowledge him in all of our ways, he does the work of making straight the path. Um, there's another scripture verse that says something about, you know, the, the, the plans of man are, are, are carefully laid, but they don't usually work out. But God's do. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And so to live a life that is dedicated to the Lord and acknowledging him in all things not only leads to him straightening our paths, but it also causes us, listen, what does it say? To feel better. That knot in your stomach, that high blood pressure, that stress, that wound that choke somebody. When God takes the burden, those things can be set aside. And it not only helps us spiritually, it helps us physically. All right, so then we go on in John. It says, Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Uh, by the way, don't be put off, ladies, by the word woman. Woman? 
wasn't like that. It was a, it was a term of endearment and respect in the culture to, to address her that way because women were so marginalized. Uh, women were so uh, kind of set aside in the culture, and we see this time and time again with Jesus when he deals with like the woman at the well and the woman who was caught in adultery, um, different stories like this, the woman uh, with the issue of blood that came to touch him and wanted to be healed. We see Jesus, man, he has no business with this whole uh, men are above women stuff. He's not about that, and he, he acknowledges it here. He says to his mom, he calls her, uh, he calls her woman, acknowledging who she is as a person from her very core. And, but he says, um, why, why are you talking to me? You know, I ain't got nothing to do with this. And it wasn't disrespectful, but it, it appears that Jesus had a plan. He had a plan that he had heard from the Father of when to reveal the fullness of who he was to everyone else. And this wedding wasn't the time or place. It wasn't in the plan. Isn't that interesting? My hour has not yet come. What it seemed to... If, if we just stopped there, our assumption then would be that Jesus was like, that's too bad. Too bad that you ran out of wine. I can't help you. But that's not what happens. And so we get to the second part of this. So we talked about when. When should we seek God? Always. In the circumstance when something happens, when should we seek God? Immediately, not later. Right, but then if we're going to seek God, what is it we're after? What is it that we want? And so here's Jesus' uh, mother's reply. So, woman, what, do you, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. So there's a little bit of that mom thing in there, right? Whatever, Jesus. You guys, listen to him. And off she goes, right? You can see her. She's buzzing around, doing her thing, right? You know how that works at a, a big thing where you're entertaining and the guests are there? She's like flying in. She flies into like the kitchen or something because where else? He's there with this. Here's the other. Jesus is with the servants, right? He's not out with all the, the highfalutin people at the table. He's with the servants. She comes in, probably looking for more wine, comes in, realizes there's no more wine. The servants can't help her. She looks to her son like a mom would do. says, Jesus, help me. We're out of wine. And then she says, do whatever he tells you. And so this is important. When we approach God as Jesus' mother did here, we should expect him to do something. Uh, he says in another place that uh, even evil parents will give their children bread. So if we do that, does that make us any better than they are? Our love should extend even farther than what, what evil people will do. And so God says to us, he loves us uh, as children and then some, not just children, but children of God. And so when God does something, we should expect him to do something. But notice her words. Do whatever he tells you. See, Mary didn't say... Jesus, get me wine. You servants, get more wine. Um, here's how I want you to solve this problem. She looked at, uh, you know, that's, I love that song, Mary, Did You Know? Mary, did you know? Now, the answer to the question is yes, by the way. 
If you read the gospel, the answer is yes, she did. She actually did know. So it's sort of a rhetorical question. And so she, look, if anybody knows who Jesus is, she's watched him from the tiny, just a little tiny baby. She's, she's invested in every moment of his life. She knows who Jesus is. She doesn't know how it's all going to play out, but she knows the prophecies. And she knows who Jesus is. And so it's no light thing when she points to the servants and says, you do whatever he tells you to do. Because she knows who she's talking about. And so we should expect God to do something, but in her own words, do whatever he tells you. We find in the words of Mary, the mother of Jesus, a foreshadowing of the prayer that Jesus gave in the garden before he was arrested and crucified. Let me show you that. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to the death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And so we find uh, in Mary's command to the servants and in Jesus' prayer here, uh, uh, a great synchronicity. Now, when we go to God, which should be immediately, what is it that we're asking him to do? We're asking for his will to be done. Now, it's good for us to express our desires, especially as we draw closer to God, our desires will become more like God's desires for us. And so we should express those. But we're not in the business, we're not in the place to go to God and demand what he should do. Because that's us putting our hand on it, right? That's, that's just us pretending to seek God, but actually trying to manipulate what we would do if we were God. I go back to my friend Marty as we prayed together there that Tuesday. Um, I prayed like I did a lot when I was there. I prayed, Lord, there's no mystery what we want. There's no mystery what our heart desires. And I'm asking boldly in the name of Jesus that Marty be healed. But Lord, I trust you. And whatever is your will, we will bless your name. So what do we do? We seek God in all things. And we expect him to do something. But we should expect him to do his will and not ours. Ultimately, may our will be his will. Now it goes on um, to say that they had these jars there that were jars of purification. And I just want to tell you a little bit about those so that you understand uh, what they are in comparison to things that, that you might be thinking. These were jars that were carved out of solid stone. They weren't pottery that had been uh, made from clay and formed by hand and fired in a kiln. They would go out and, 
and cut large chunks out of the, the limestone there and then carve them out into these sometimes very beautiful, very ornate vases, sometimes very um, plain depending on your, your status or what they were going to be used for. And the reason they did that was because the belief was uh, that stone carved out like that, when you put water in it and it was blessed, that became living water. Whereas because of the process of making pottery and firing things and because they didn't have the technology that we have today, if you put things in there and let them sit for a long time, the contaminants that were in that material would leach into the water and make it potentially toxic, potentially poisonous, or it would spoil if it was wine or something like that. So these jars that were set aside for water to be used for purification, the idea was that in this ritual washing, you had to use water that was pure. And so they would put it into these stone jars, and it was actually called living water. Now think about that in terms of who Jesus said that he was. Of what Jesus said to the woman at the well when he said to her, you know, I want some water. And she said, you don't have anything to draw any water from the well with. And he said, actually, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for water. She said, what? You don't even have a, you don't even have a, a jar to draw water with. And he says, yeah, I have this water inside. In fact, I am the living water. And if you drank from the water that I could give you, you would never thirst again. And so there's a great symbolism happening here between the, the jars for purification and this living water and who Jesus is, that he's actually the living water to reveal himself later. And then this goes on to happen, John 2, uh, 7 through 8. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw out some of it and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. And we just read what happens, right? They fill these jars with water, and as soon as they dip their ladles in or their cups or their small jars to pull that out, it's turned into wine. Now, Jesus has done two things here. He's solved the problem for his mother. He's done a good thing for his mom. Maybe three things. He's performed his first miracle in front of these folks, which he says was not the plan for today. He's done something that causes those around him, in particular his disciples are mentioned later, that causes them to begin to believe who he is. Because who else could do that? But it's important to note also that he's filled those now, those purification jars with wine, which in the New Testament becomes the overarching symbol for both the blood of Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. It's a foreshadowing of his sacrifice. So when do we seek God? Right away, in every circumstance. Right now. Try to discipline ourselves to do that. What are we after? We want God to do something. But what we ultimately should be desiring is for God to do his will. Because he knows best, better than us. And then the last thing, how? How does he do this? So uh, verse 9. When the master had uh, of the feast had tasted the water, now become wine. He did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called to the bridegroom and said, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. You hear what's happening there, right? I love this little part of the story. 
the master of the feast, probably the father of the, the bride, gets this, the wine has run out. Oh, hey, here's some new wine. We found some wine. He put it down and he tastes it. And he's like, man, this is good. And he says, this is not the custom because usually what we do is we buy a little bit of the really good wine. And listen, what's the implication here? The good wine's got a little bit more of a kick to it than the cheap stuff does. Right? That's what he's saying. Because he says, usually at the beginning of the feast, we put out the really good stuff and people drink for a while, and when they don't care quite as much, we put out the cheap stuff, because it saves a little money. He says, but you, you, man, you're something else, because we drank some great wine already, but this, this is fantastic. When we're asking God to intervene in our worldly circumstances, it's possible that sometimes our failure is expecting too little. God shows us over and over in the Bible he is, a, he is an extravagant God. And his love and his provision, his very nature challenges us not to hope too small. Um, it reminds me of the women at the tomb after Jesus was crucified. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Right, so Jesus has been crucified. Uh, they're trying to go and do the ritual anointing of the body of Jesus because he's dead. And this is a great example of hoping too small because Jesus had something else completely in mind. See, when they got to the tomb, he wasn't there. He was alive. At this point, the thinking of their mind is, well, we had a great teacher, we had a great friend, he gave us some good things to remember and we'll try to live by those. But now I guess it's all over. So maybe, maybe we'll get to go and show our love to him one more time. And God says, mm, that's, you're thinking small. Think bigger than that. So when do we go to God? Right away. What do we want him to do? We want him to, to do his will. What he knows and believes and understands is best for us. And we want, we want to be tuned into that. Um, how do we expect him to do that? We expect him to do it with the extravagant love that he has shown us in so many other ways. And then the question is, why don't we get that? Why don't we do that? And here's my final thought. Is it possible that sometimes we don't receive the answer to needs big and small? Because this delay has allowed the window in which God intended to work to pass. And now both we and hopefully God are working to rejoin his plan. Don't miss that. Is it possible that sometimes when we try to wrestle things out on our own, God is standing there going, let me do that. Let me do that. I've got an idea. Let me do that. Let me do that. And we keep wrestling with it. And he goes, oh, we missed the chance, man. The flow of time has gone by and other things have happened now that I can't do what I wanted to do. 
Because now we've got to come up with something else. That's the promise in his word that, uh, that God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called to, according to his purpose. I think that's exactly what this is talking about, is that even when we mess it up, God continues to work towards the good, but, but the, the better good might have been like 30 minutes ago or three weeks ago. God can't help but be good because he is good. But sometimes do we miss out on his best because we won't trust him immediately. We won't allow him to work his will immediately. And we do that because we don't expect enough, really, from a God who's so loving and extravagant. It's kind of like um, many years ago, uh, roller blades were a new thing. You might not believe that, but they were. Um, and Karen wanted some, and so I got her some. We lived out over off of Jewel Lake in this little place, and um, I got her some for her birthday, and we went out uh, and on the road, and she put them on. And there's a little rise in the hill there. She's, she's, she's here, and I'm standing back here just watching her, you know. She had, she had rollerbladed up this little incline, and then she turned around, and she started to come back down. I said, you're going to need to stop. She said, I know. You're really going to need to stop. I don't know how to stop. And she's on the downhill like this, you know. And so we were young. So I just jumped out in front of her when she got it. And there we both went, man, on the ground, down the hill. You know, we spent the next hour picking bits of asphalt out of our arms and laughing. It would have been better to stop at the top instead of waiting till the bottom to try and figure that out. And sometimes that's what we do. Instead of immediately going to God, we try it on our own, and we end up in a wreck. And God sits there with us, picking the bits of asphalt out of our arms and our knees. And says, well, that didn't work out very well. Let's, let's try it my way. What if we could avoid that part? Three scriptures of encouragement to you. All about why we should trust him. That extravagant love, here it is. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Listen to that. He is able to do far more abundantly than we can ever ask or think. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it doesn't know him. To be called the children of God. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. In the Greek, that when there's a phrase like that, grace upon grace... It's the implication that it just never stops. It's grace, 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 forever. And then finally, my favorite Bible verse, John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
God loves you extravagantly. He wants to do great things for you, but he needs you to trust his will, and he needs you to trust him right away so that he can do his best. It's not that he's absent. It's sometimes that we push him out of the way. So my prayer for you would be that you not do that. I not do that. But that instead I trust him. Seek his will. Expect him to do great, wonderful things. Would you stand for closing prayer? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause the light of his face to shine upon you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. Lord, there's no doubt that all of us, maybe today and certainly on into the week, will face some small things that fall apart. Maybe some big things that fall apart. Whatever the case, remind us of this moment and this scripture. Remind us of these ideas that we should trust you and seek you. Lord, invite you into each and every circumstance. We will trust you for every good thing. In Jesus' name, amen.